JP, JP, what? guess what? Guess what? What? I went to my first brew fest yesterday. Awesome. I know. I know. It was actually really fun. So you have been to the Lancaster Renaissance Fair, correct? Yes, multiple times. It is the largest Renaissance Fairground in the state of Pennsylvania, and they hosted a brew fest yesterday, and I went with my friend, and we had a blast. But I had never been there before or been to a brew fest, so I was kind of going in super blind. And let me tell you, it was so much fun. Oh, that place is so awesome, especially how it's set right. up, too, because they have a lot of the permanent structures. Yes. You're so immersed in the world. And I mean, a lot of the places weren't open because it wasn't the Renaissance Fair exactly, although I do plan on going back to that. It was like a lot of tents set up that had local breweries, and they gave you like a little tasting glass, and you went around and just kind of got to taste different beers from different breweries. But you're right. Like the, the permanent structures they have, the giant chessboard. You you remember that? Oh, I know the giant chessboard. The giant chessboard's a blast. It was so much fun. And my, the friend who I went with, her family actually like worked the Ren Fair when she was younger. So she was very familiar with it and got to like, I kind of got like, not like a behind the scenes tour, but like an insider's view of what the Ren Fairgrounds were. So and the more she was talking about it and how excited she was talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to go to the Ren Fair. Like I want to experience that with you because you're so passionate about the grounds in general that like I think it's just going to be amazing. So that was my fun little thing, which weirdly, hi everybody, ties into our Spooky You episode today. And uh, just like I said, we are Spooky You. I am one of your hosts, Allie. I am the other host, JP. And we love to talk all things spooky, macabre, lore, ghosts, dark history, true crime. Take it away, dude. If you're hanging out at a bar and you're having fun with your friends, you spin around in the stool and lean back, then suddenly in a flash, the very crowded bar becomes empty, decrepit, with an ominous flickering light over a back closet door that, quite frankly, you've never noticed before. And then you hear a loud bang from behind the door. And then there's another flash, and everything's back to normal, and nobody recognizes anything that just happened. We won't talk about it because we didn't see it, but if you want to talk about it, be our guest. Let me guess, you just finished Stranger Things Season 4, didn't you? I finished it last week, but that also came because I had my own little fun with a brew fest. Oh, yeah? Okay, that was actually last fall for here in Sitka, but me and my friends went out to the bar last night. Did you have that moment? Did that moment happen to you? You know... I'm not going to say because I don't want it to be any creepier and, you know, plane tickets off the island are expensive. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Okay. Can't, can't say. Can't say. I saw anything can't last say, night. Can't say. Yeah. Nope. Can't say. No. No. Okay. Well, JP, crack open a cold one because we are actually going to dive into a fun brewery this episode. We are talking about the Moon River Brewing Company in Savannah, Georgia. So, JP, have you been to Savannah? 
You know, amazingly, I have not, but it's on my short list. Well, make it a make it a shorter list because you got to get there. I went down when I was traveling down to work for Disney when I did the college program. So I was with mom. We were driving down the country. Obviously, we had to stop in Savannah because we realized we accidentally had one extra day because mom thought I had to check in one day, but it was a day later. And in Savannah, you have to do a ghost tour. It was the same company we did a ghost tour with in Boston. You remember that one? No, that was that British dude was awesome. Oh, yeah. He was like our best friend. I loved him. God, Ashton. Why, how do I remember his name? That was so long was ago. Was that his name? Yeah. Oh, I love him. I have this weird thing where once things pass five weeks for me, my memory is like an elephant. But within five weeks of it occurring. That's fair. That's fair. Honestly, I'm, I think I'm in the same way. So this tour obviously was like slightly different because it was in Savannah, not Boston. But for the one part of the tour, I have to tell you about this. They took us to a warehouse where they store all the trolleys. I think I told you about this probably after it happened. But they, they took us to this warehouse and they handed us all EVP detectors. And then they told us a story of an axe murder that happened right there. Like they were like, this, this just so happened to be the same location. And I was kind of like, okay, buddy. And they sent us wandering around this dark warehouse to find ghosts. Now, again, I don't know if that site truly was the site where this suspected murder happened or if they were just maybe there was a spot we couldn't get to for the tour or something. I don't know. I don't know the details, but that part felt pretty gimmicky. And like, I want to believe like I definitely want to believe that there are ghosts, but that felt gimmicky to me, a true believer. But anyway, so all these people are walking around trying to get like their detector to go off. Guess whose detector was the only one to go off? Yours. Yep. Mom. Mine. <laughs> so I, I truly think there were too many like people for anyone to pick anything up. And they didn't take us to the Moon River Brewery. At least I don't remember like I, that they did. But why don't you and I talk about it? We'll do our own little ghost tour. You ready? Yeah, let's go. You sent this one and this was a very kind of confusing and annoying for me because, you know, it's a building, so there's not a whole lot of history on it. So I kind of once again had to make my own way. Well, you usually tend to do that anyway. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of Savannah itself? So Savannah's history dates all the way back to early colonial America, where the colony of Georgia was essentially a buffer zone between South Carolina and Spanish Florida, which apparently was still causing problems for the rest of the South, even that far back. Really? Florida still causing problems? Wouldn't have guessed it. Upon settling, the governor Oglethorpe became friends with the local Yamakrov chief and managed to create a relatively peaceful native colonial interaction, which allowed Savannah to be able to settle the bluff on which it stands today and allow the city to initially flourish with only having to worry about the Spanish occasionally coming in there. Hmm. Okay. That's, that doesn't sound like too bad of a history, but I say that with a lot of skepticism because this is America. So just assume that at some point that that friendly relationship turns sour. Oh, hundred percent without even doing any research. I can tell you that probably happened. Oh yeah. I mean, it's very interesting talking a lot about native Native and American relations, especially being up here in Alaska, where there's a very strong Native presence, and not a lot of them are very thrilled about it. Oh, I'm I'm sure. I'm still kind of is a bit. Yeah, pretty much still is. 
During the American Revolution, the British took Savannah in 1778 and held it until 1782, despite efforts by joint French-American efforts in 1779 to siege and retake the city. Following the independence of America, Savannah flourished, and soon it was discovered that the soil in the surrounding area was very favorable for producing cotton and rice. There it is. Plantations started, thus slavery became highly profitable, and thus, once again, a major, beautiful southern city can owe its great architecture, great city planning, and all of that to slavery. I knew you were headed in that direction. Like, I was sitting here going, all right, when are we going to get there? There it is. Nope, no, it did not take that long. No, it didn't. It didn't take that long at all. In fact, the transatlantic slave trade brought a vast majority of the people and slaves coming over from Africa through Savannah. And many would obviously be set out to plantations in those areas. That brought in the wealth that essentially made Savannah rival Charleston as a commercial port in the South. And one of the world's powerful cotton producer that the Savannah Cotton Exchange was had a significant impact on the global price of cotton. Interesting. Savannah was also not without its misfortunes. And this is where we can start getting into the Moon River Brewery because we get into 1796 and 1820 when Savannah was burned to the ground and then rebuilt. Just the whole damn city. I mean, you got to think about it back then. The city wasn't like it is today. We're not talking two very different cities. More like, um, I think maybe like a Linnitz or a smaller version of Lancaster burning. Sure, yeah. No, no. I, I was actually thinking more. That, that's a great reference for all of our, uh, all yeah. of our listeners. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, we totally know what Latitz is. Absolutely. No, I was thinking more of like Salem burning to the ground. I mean, probably a little bit bigger than Salem, but that was the first thing that came to my mind just because that's one city that I know like burned to the ground. Didn't Johnstown burn to the ground? No, they flooded. Yeah, Johnstown, Pennsylvania flooded. We'll have to talk about that at some point. Yeah, we actually will. It's a it's an interesting history there. But Savannah, I'd say roughly size. We're talking maybe eight or ten square blocks. No, it's it was not a very large city. I mean, it's it's larger now, but it was not a large city. Comparatively, think like back in 1776 in Philadelphia, four or five blocks would have been considered outside the city in Philly. And now four or five blocks is literally the same district in a city. Just keep that in mind we're talking about that, because we're also getting into 1820, where in addition to the fire, there was a yellow fever outbreak, which brings us to finally... The actual Moon River Brewing Company, or as it was known back then, the City Hotel. Yes, let's talk about it. So what we're going to dive into next is really the building's more violent history. Now, as JP said, there was an outbreak of yellow fever. And as we've discussed in this podcast before, and as JP and I are familiar with, you know, there's kind of that old adage, if there's a tragedy, if someone passes of a tragic death, that there's a lot of trouble moving on. So that being said, the Moon River Brewing Company is deeply haunted with a violent past and several restless spirits. Starting, of course, with the children who passed of yellow fever, along with several adults when the brewery was a hospital for a number of years. But the sheer number of people who passed during these outbreaks, and it's just, it's tragic and alarming. 
I mean, it's an incredibly sad time in history when we experience children passing in this number, but it's not the only tragedy that actually happened here. Now, let's talk about what happened after it became a, a hospital or after it was a hospital and became a bar. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got some stuff here on it. Yeah. Tell me more. Okay. So first of all, I want to clarify one thing about the brewery. It was not actually a brewery yet. The building was built in 1821 by Elazar Early. Originally, Early was from Charleston, South Carolina. The building was called the City Hotel and was, yes, the city's hotel and held Savannah's first post office and Bank of the United States branch for the city. During its tenure as a hotel, it saw several notable guests, including Marquis de Lafayette. Ah! Yep. Guns and ships. Yeah, I had to sneak a Hamilton reference in there if we're going back that that early. No, I'm, I'm glad you snuck that in early. Three Commodores of the U.S. Navy and naturalist James Audubon. Don't know who any of those people are, so that's cool. So Commodores would have been high-ranking officers in the U.S. Navy. James Audubon, I actually have no idea who that is, but the Moon River Brewery website seemed that it was important they mentioned him. Good for them. So let's quick talk about yellow fever in Savannah, Georgia. So there were three outbreaks of yellow fever that occurred in Savannah's history, the first being in 1820 that killed approximately 660 people, the second 1854 that killed 1,040 people, and the third one that we know about in 1876 that occurred on August 11th and likely killed 1,066 Savannians. Aren't you vaccinated against yellow fever? I am, and I'm going to talk about the disease in a sec because yellow fever typically is actually found in West Africa and parts of South America. According to the CDC, symptoms appear in three to six days after infection and include fevers, chills, aching, uncontrollable hemorrhaging, organ failure, yellowing of the skin, and death. Oh, okay. Okay. That's why that would be why it was called yellow fever. Okay, cool. 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 Um, cool. Glad you're vaccinated against that. That's a good thing. Is it still prevalent? It is. Cool. Although interestingly, yellow fever can only be spread by mosquitoes, not person to person contact. Even better. Even cooler though, doctors in Savannah noticed early cases of the outbreak originated from sailors and dock workers which likely told them that this was not a disease that was endemic to the area. And they also noticed that the outbreaks would die off after the first frost. This discovery was made by Cuban doctors Carlos Finley and American physician Major Walter Reed, likely led to the discovery that the disease was spread through mosquitoes, leading to large aggressive extermination efforts. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, at least they were able to catch on and make a change for the better. So that's that's good. I appreciate that they were able to do that. I mean, this was also a great time when medicine was really starting to uh, come into its own as we know it today. As we know it and trust it today. <laughs> Sorry, we both just looked at each other on that one. We were like, hmm. Yeah, we were just like, we, we got nothing else to add We here. got nothing else to add. I mean, we could end up on a rant, but let's not do that. <laughs> Oh, that's such a hard thing to judge. Do we do the tangent? Do we not do the tangent? I know, I know. Now, to tangent or not to tangent? That is the podcaster's dilemma. Yes, it is. Very much so. Now continue, JP. 
Interestingly, according to the Georgia Historical Society, 60% of those who were infected with yellow fever during the 1876 outbreak died. However, according to the CDC, only 15% who contract yellow fever today get a severe form that is potentially fatal. Of that 15%, 20 to 50 die. Okay, those numbers aren't horrible. I, I mean, they're not great by any means, but they're not as bad as they could be. It's likely gotten better because of better hygiene practices, better management of symptoms by medical personnel, and the readily available vaccine that was developed in 1937, oh. which it should be noted that to this day, there is still no cure for yellow fever. Once you get it, you can only treat the symptoms. The only way to protect yourself is to get a vaccination, which, fun fact from me, as of 2021, no U.S. companies produce yellow fever vaccine domestically. In order to get one, you have to go to a handful of hospitals in the country that are running experiments with yellow fever vaccines made in France. Now, the vaccine that is coming from France is the exact same that would have been produced in the U.S., but because it's made by a foreign company, it has to go through particular avenues in order to be distributed here, and thus it has to be done in a scientific experiment, which is how I got mine. So you are a scientific experiment. I was, but basically it was just a glorified fancy way to say, hey, this is the only way we can do it, so Is that jab, why you, you started growing a third arm out of your back? Allie, don't scare people. The vaccine... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're fine. The yellow vaccine works. It's the same one that's been used since the 80s. It is a great vaccine. You are vaccinated, so that's awesome. I'm so happy that you're vaccinated and you're safe from yellow fever. I do love, though, I have to say it's very funny when you're calling up different hospitals and they're all saying no to the COVID vaccine or they're saying all these things because this is back when COVID was still a much bigger threat. And we were still in that whole, like, oh, my God, we're all going to die from this. Yeah. And everyone was like, no, we don't have that. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm looking for a yellow fever vaccine. And they're, all the nurses were just like, what? 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 Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess we can find that for you, too. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I remember getting the call from mom and she was like, I'm so worried about this vaccine coming from a foreign country. And I was like, chill. Seriously, it's going to be fine. It's the same one they would do here. I talked her down off a ledge, but it was fine. God, that was okay. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> so let's talk about some bar fights. <laughs> That's a great oh, segment, good. right? <laughs> yeah, we jokingly refer to that in the boxing club as uh, Friday night sparring. Ah, Friday night sparring. So... You know, JP, you wouldn't have a brewery without some Friday night sparring, especially in the 1800s. So, 1832, a doctor named Dr. Philip Minus shot a drunk man named James Stark inside the, uh, the then hotel. So it was still a hotel at this point. Now, Stark, no relation to Sansa, was the known town drunk. Don't look at me like that, JP. I had to slide it in there a little bit. And I don't know the show, okay? I didn't, And it watched the show. You don't know the show and you had to slide it in? Yeah, because she's the only one I know because she's married to Joe Jonas, okay? That's the <laughs> only way I know it, and she's badass. So anyway, so Stark was a known town drunk and a troublemaker who got a kick out of insulting people. So he was a town asshole. 
Dr. Mine has had a moment of guilt and insisted he had seen Stark going for the gun first, which quickly got Dr. Minus acquitted. Now, no one liked Stark and Savannah needed a doctor, so Minus got off, scot-free. But an unpunished murder could be enough to leave behind an angry spirit, couldn't it? So the murder of Stark wasn't even the biggest act of violence that took place in the brewery. So we're kind of stacking some really tragic events on top of each other here. And we're up to 1860 at this point with the violence. So anything before that, JP, that you got to fill in on? What year did you say? 1860. I know I kind of mumbled it. I was like, blah, blah, blah. So I do have a few quick things to put in here. Oh, about Sansa Stark? No, no, you don't. We've already been to go listen to a Game of Thrones podcast if you want to hear more about Sons of Stark. We're done with that because I want to quick mention that in 1851, Peter Wiltberger brought and renovated the hotel, placing two live lions to attract attention. That's such a great idea. Oh, yeah. And I have written here a trend that will likely never again be repeated because who would be who would allow an irresponsible, uninformed individual to own two large predatory animals? Huh. You know, I would think that no one should be owning that. I don't think anyone's owned that. Can you think of a person who's owned large predatory cats? No. No. No, can't think of a single one. No, uh -uh. not a single one that might or may not be in jail right now. Looking Let's at you, going. Joe Exotic. Looking at you, buddy boy. <laughs> all right, all right. I think that's the second time we've called out Joe. Yeah, that's the second time we've called out Joe Exotic on this podcast. I was going to say this podcast, not this episode, though, but this podcast. Yes. No, no, no. All right. So you talking about James Sinclair? Yeah, I got James Sinclair on my list. Let's talk about him real quick. So in 1860, the Civil War hadn't started, but Georgians hated Yankees. To be fair, so do Bostonians. So I should quick clarify here that while the Civil War hadn't started yet, it was basically going down that path. Lincoln had just been elected, and already a lot of Southern states had threatened secession upon his election. So at this point, everyone knows that war is coming. JP, you totally missed my baseball joke. I did, yes, because you don't know baseball. I know enough to be able to say that people in Boston you don't like You only know that joke. That's all I need to know, okay? Allie, that's like saying, oh, I'm a college football fan. I know Michigan and Ohio hate each other. I thought everybody hated Ohio State. I mean, yes, everyone hates Ohio State, but Michigan especially. Okay. So anyway. That was even the same division as me, and you didn't even know that? I, JP, I don't know shit about sports, okay? I don't know sports about shit. So anyway, James St. Clair came to town. He was from the North, and he decided to stay at the City Hotel, which if you're from the North and you're touting that you're from the North dumb idea this gives me major small town vibes because the people of savannah hated having him there and they tried to pressure him to leave but they refused doesn't that sound like a small town that's a small town so let me clarify a little bit here because i found an article from the new york times that recounted st Clair's incident first of all when st Clair traveled from New York to Savannah, it should be noted that he was, in fact, a Georgian native who had moved up and lived in New York for a while. And he was returning to Georgia to go to Augusta, Georgia, to find work in carpentry. He had a brother there. 
Well, good for him for having a brother there, but the locals still hated having him in town, so much so that they actually formed mobs in the streets of Savannah. Now, the site that I got this information from, nightlyspirits.com, called it a lynch mob. It was not a lynch mob. Again, that's the site I got it from, so... How about we go with um, what the New York Times reported St. Clair called it, a vigilance committee? A vigilance committee. That's interesting. I like that term a lot better. So we're going to go with that. It's a little bit more fitting. I, I even countered your lynch mob thing here in my notes. I just got that prepared because, you know, that's how I roll. Well, yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, you're going to say something stupid. So let me go ahead and stop you right there. But anyway, so they marched through the city and into the hotel. They dragged St. Clair into the streets outside the building, stripped him and beat him. St. Clair lived through this incident, but was beaten almost to the point of death. So some say that the violent experience was enough to make his spirit restless and come back to haunt the place where this tragedy happened. Well, if that's the case, and first of all, I have a little bit of, of extra detail because this is not the first time that the Vigilance Committee of Savannah had done this to a person. I would not be surprised if they did do that. So why don't you tell us about some more examples? On November 18, 1860, Mr. W.M.T. Reynolds was threatened with a letter from the committee accusing him of abolitionist views and told him to present his case the next day at 12 o'clock. Based upon support testimony of others, he was given a pass by the committee of sufficient Southern support. Two hours later, the committee formed a mob to kill him. Some accounts claim he was in bed for months after the beating he received. Jeez! Another one, Mr. John Byler, this all happening within weeks, was a third victim of the Savannah Committee. He was a grocer in Savannah until Sunday, the 17th of November, when the committee accused him of giving aid to slaves. He was given a warning that he promptly ignored. Then he was dragged out of town, tar and feathered, and forced to run back to town, where he was beaten over the head by a police officer's pistol butt his skull fractured, then died. Wow. Okay, so these guys were just on a roll, basically. Yeah, and it should be noted here that a vigilance committee is basically a group of private citizens that uses violence to administer law and order, especially when they feel government structure or action is inadequate. So basically, it's a vigilante mob, but a little bit more organized because it did have a president, officers. It was like a, a violent club. I don't like that. That feels a little on the nose right now. I don't I don't like that. Yeah, it's not good. And especially because you have to look at what was going on at the time. Like I said, Lincoln had just been elected and South Carolina was going to secede in about a month. Ugh. So they were pretty much up for war. And when they saw somebody from the north, they were looking at them with suspicion. Like they were spies or they were infiltrators. Everybody knew something was coming. Well. Something did come, and we all know how that story went down. That's what she said. Stop it, JP. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, something <laughs> did come. Stop it. I have my own little history thing, because if you're going to say that violence of that nature will leave ghosts, then it's time for the darkest fear, the monster in the back of the minds of every Confederate sympathizer. They hate him from here to Atlanta. If you remember anything about high school history class, you know him. If you're from the North, you may say, 
Oh yeah, that guy, General William T. Sherman. I have no idea who you're talking about. Sherman's March to the Sea? JP, I was in high school over 10 years ago. Burned Atlanta to the ground? I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Okay, well, everyone, just sit back and listen to my epic rant because... Okay, here we go. During November to December of 1864, Sherman marched and had the single goal of absolutely bulldozing the southern infrastructure and agriculture to reduce General Lee's ability to wage war against the Union. Wait, was he a was he a general for the South? No, he was a general for the North. Oh, okay, okay, there we go. All right. And he's basically really famous because he was like, hey, Grant, Lincoln, I've got an idea. I'm going to take my men, we're going to live off the land, and we are going to fuck shit up in the South and put the ever-living fear of God into these traitors. You know what? If that's how they explained it in high school, I probably would have remembered it. Right? This is why history teachers need to get on how they do this thing. Seriously. We need good, good history teachers. Sherman was basically one of the first to do what essentially we'd come today to recognize as an early form of total war, but that was not it for Sherman. Total war is more like Hiroshima Nagasaki. Oh, yikes. Okay. He basically was looking to raid and take land and food and supplies. So he started in Atlanta, which he promptly let burn to the ground. And then his men got drunk and raided, pillaged, and absolutely just tore the whole city apart. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. And then broke them into two columns of Union troops that, once marching from what was Atlanta, made their way towards Savannah. Uh Uh-oh. Along the way, forging troops would scour the land for food while destroying anything that could be used to aid Confederate troops. And basically tearing up rail lines, taking food, cattle, livestock. And yes, this meant sometimes harassing private citizens from what were called bummers, or the very outer foragers of the columns of soldiers. But generally, the army didn't bother too much with the civilians. They were looking to just decrease morale. Well, that's, I mean, that's a a good thing they didn't, you know, bother any of the citizens or anything worse than that. But still, I mean, a lot of this is very yikes, but, you know, that's, it was, it was war. Okay. All right. Keep going. In December of 1864, Sherman and his army reached the outskirts of Savannah, Georgia. However, General Hardy of the Confederates had entrenched 10,000 troops and flooded the surrounding areas, leaving limited avenues of entrance for Sherman's men basically turning Savannah into a fortress. This put Sherman in a bad spot, as without supplies from the Navy that he was planning to link up with in Savannah, he didn't have either the firepower or the supplies for a prolonged siege. Because basically they were living off the land and they were in the middle of winter, so food was very scarce. Yeah, so that, okay, that makes sense. Got it, got it. I'm following you. Stoic as ever, Sherman simply directed a division to assault Fort McAllister just to the south of the city. There, they could link up with the Navy, and after about a 15-minute engagement, the Union took control of the fort and got the supplies and heavy cannons they needed. And now this is where the badassery that is Sherman comes into play. After setting up and laying siege with heavy artillery, Sherman sent the following letter to General Hardy. In Sherman's memoirs, he quotes, I have already received guns that can cast heavy and destructive shot as far as the heart of your city. Also, 
I have for some days held and controlled every avenue by which the people and garrison of Savannah can be supplied, and I am therefore justified in demanding the surrender of the city of Savannah and its dependent forts, and shall wait for a reasonable time for your answer, before opening with heavy ordinance. Should you retain the proposition, I am prepared to grant liberal terms to the inhabitants and garrison. But should I be forced to resort to assault or the slower and surer process of starvation, I shall then feel justified in resorting to the harshest measures, and shall make little effort to restrain my army, burning to avenge the national wrong which they attach to Savannah and other large cities which have been so prominent in dragging our country into civil war. Okay, I have to tell you something while you were reading that. So, first of all, hold on. First of all, you slipped into your Gettysburg voice, which I appreciate so much. But second of all, as you started this, now you know I have the dog in my room right now because my parents are gone. And he's looking out the window, minding his business. But as you started talking, I just hear, and I'm like, oh my God, this is too much. (laughs) He just added to your your letter there. (laughs) So I'm sitting here laughing my ass off. And I'm just like, JP has no, like, he thinks I'm laughing at him. But I was laughing at the dog and you. Like, I'm done. Oh my God. Screw you then. Continue, JP. Continue. I'm sorry. So I love this because basically Sherman's just saying, hey, I can kick your ass, surrender, or I'm going to do the same thing that happened in Georgia to you or happened in Atlanta to you. At least he was honest and he gave him a warning. He was like, hey, buddy, guess what? This is coming your way. It's going to suck. So either do what I want you to do or it's going to be hellfire for you. And Hardy quickly realized that he stood no chance against the badassery that was Sherman. And thus he and his men fled, not just surrendered, they just snuck out in the night, leaving the whole town to the mercy of Sherman, and fled all the way back to South Carolina. Probably for the best. Sherman's men entered the city on December 21st and presented the city and 25,000 bales of cotton to Lincoln as a Christmas present. Well, that was very nice of them. I know. When you get to be president, you get things like a city and 25,000 bales of cotton. I know. That's just so nice. And the tears of traitors. Oh, yeah, that too. So anyway, JP, you ready to hop back into the brewery and start really getting into the ghosts? I'm afraid not, dear sister. Uh Uh-oh. For I have permanently turned back into the Civil War and will be remaining in this time period for such prolonged efforts as I see fit. Well, then you're going to be pretty surprised by where what we're about to talk about. Wow, I cannot talk. Good thing we have a podcast. So anyway, let's talk about the building itself and the ghostly encounters that people have today. In 2003, the American Institute of Paranormal Psychology called Savannah the most haunted city in America. They also named Moon River Brewing Company the most haunted building in the city. So a double whammy. Every single floor in the Moon River Brewing Company has activity. So we're going to start at the bottom and work our way back up. Let's talk about Toby. Toby is seen wandering around the basement. The staff have seen him so much that they decided to name him, which I feel like you should not do. What is it like if, if you give something a name, like it gives it power? Maybe it's... Maybe it's something else from like a show or a movie or something. 
Oh, no, that's from uh, Percy Jackson. At least I've heard it there first, where if you say God's name, it gives them power. Oh, okay. Well, I'd say that still applies here with, with Toby. So Toby is a tricky little fucker. He loves to move things, move through the shadows. One person on a tour claimed that their body went instantly cold when they entered the basement, but only the right half of their body. She also started hearing voices that, but like couldn't make out what they were saying. As soon as she got out of the basement, she felt fine. Now, the basement may not have the violent history that the top floors do, but it has the most encounters. So Toby is known to brush up against people playing in the billiards room or get frustrated and push them. I don't know how he decides between what's going to frustrate him or not. So it's going to be a brush or a push. But hey, that's that's Toby's decision there. There were some rumors stating that slaves were kept in the basement, but there's no evidence to back this up. Or if there was, it was destroyed. Some other experiences people have had in the basement include sudden coldness, bottles falling or being thrown, and the feeling of being touched. These have come from patrons and staff. So what do you think about the basement? It sounds like any old basement that's going to creep the hell out of anybody. Very true. Very, very true. I am kind of laughing, though. I'm wondering if maybe you can tell what time period the ghost is from based if you like hold up a picture and try to scare them off. Like if I walk down there with the picture of Sherman and be like, look, I have come to burn this place. Would they would they run or they would just get angry and push you because maybe they don't like Sherman. If they're a southern ghost, they might not. Yeah, but I don't think they mess with Sherman. I mean, Sherman was like basically the devil came down to Georgia and his name was William T. Sherman. Is that a song? It is. And that's why I brought okay. it up because I forgot about that reference. I appreciate that. So moving up to the main floor, this is where Stark was shot. That's not what she said. My God, stop. <laughs> Many people believe Stark is responsible for throwing liquor bottles. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> patrons and staff has, have also reported being violently grabbed, hit, or pushed. The main floor is where the dining room is, so people have reported being touched or feeling cold while they eat. So um, bring a sweater. Also, I mean, oh, go ahead. I can't say that's also hasn't happened to me while I'm eating two at a restaurant where I felt cold or and wondered what's going oh, on. Oh, you, you've also had a liquor bottle thrown at your head. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was. It was just something I was just sitting there one night. All of a sudden, boom, liquor bottle comes straight for the and head. And you went, oh, wow, it's really cold in here. It's the last time I go to an Arctic dodgeball themed restaurant. Good night. So... <laughs> This here is the absolute worst. Women have reported being locked in a bathroom stall. One woman was on a date with a guy and she excused herself to go to the bathroom, but didn't come back for like 15 minutes. When she came back, she was shaking and crying and said the door wouldn't let her out. Apparently, the waitress saw this, that she was like visibly upset and asked what happened. And when the woman told her the story, the waitress said, oh, the ghosts like to hide in the bathroom and do that to people. She's not the first that this has happened to. Now, picture this. A Karen getting locked in a bathroom stall by a ghost. They'd want to see the ghost manager. No, they would be super pissy and be like, I need to see the manager because your employees locked me in the stall. And then the manager would be like, ma'am, that was a ghost. Well, then I want to talk to the ghost manager. 
god karen's are the worst see i was also thinking though that's a genius idea for a restaurant because if you have bad locks and you don't want to replace them you just say oh it was the ghost don't give anybody any ideas dude restaurant owners just blame all of your infrastructure problems on ghosts. I would say, yeah, do that anyway. And then if any Karens complain about it, just be like, ma'am, this is an Olive Garden. Take your bullshittery elsewhere, like to an Applebee's. Moving up to the third floor here. So we got the basement. We've got the main floor. We got the third floor. We're just hopping around here. The top two floors have the most violent encounters and have the most patrons in and out. So... If ghosts can still be active with all of those customers coming in and out, they have to have a lot of energy. They have to be very powerful. On the third floor, we have a woman in white. Shocker, there's literally a woman in white, black, or red in almost every single story. She is so well known that they gave her a name, and her name is Mrs. Johnson. The third floor is where many of the children who had yellow fever were whenever they passed. A lot of the employees have heard children talking and playing on this floor. The people who run the brewery have heard children running up and down the halls. You know my life motto, JP. Let me say it again for our new listeners. If you can hear a child, but you cannot see a child, get the fuck out. <laughs> Perfect life motto. I don't know how that is so relevant to you that that has become a life motto. It happened to me once, okay? And once is more than it needed to happen. And that's enough to become a life motto. Something so core to you. And I'm just thinking in my head, how often does that occur that you needed to put it we there? We run a ghost podcast, JP. It occurs more often in stories than you think. And once again, now I work in schools. It happens to me more often than it does to you. Yeah, but the likelihood that you're going to see the child making said noise is pretty high. Not necessarily. Those are they're, they're crafty little hiders. Oh, okay. That's why I don't ever let them play hide and seek because I would totally lose one. <laughs> so what you're saying to everybody is that you're not a Hufflepuff because you are not a good finder. No, we've well established I'm a Ravenclaw. Yeah, you're definitely a Ravenclaw. Anyway, in the 1990s, some construction was being done on the third floor when this happened. The wife of the foreman was pushed down the staircase. It was said that she was shoved so hard, it was very clear she didn't fall. You know how, like, you can kind of tell, like, okay, someone got shoved or they actually fell? The foreman immediately stopped construction and left the building. He was like, I'm not messing with this. Several other people have felt pushing or pulling on the stairs going to the third floor, but that's pretty much the extent of it. So just a lot of pushing, a lot of shoving, children laughing. Hate it. Absolutely hate it. So this is just sounding like a very violent bar It scene. is just a violent bar scene. Well, we talked, there's a lot of violence in the history and that energy kind of just stayed there. So last but not least, the creepy top floor. This floor is said to have a lot of dark energy that the other floors don't possess. The majority of the yellow fever victims were housed on this floor. They might still feel trapped from being there. There's not a lot of activity, but it just has an overall terrible energy. It has some very similar stories to the third floor, a lot of children talking and playing. So that's kind of your quick guide to the ghosts floor by floor of the Moon River Brewing Company. You know... You're speechless. I know. I did such a good job. You're speechless. You don't know what to say. You're like, oh, Allie, you did such a wonderful job. This podcast couldn't go on without you. You're so fantastic. You're amazing. No, I could totally run this shit oh, solo. You couldn't do anything without me. Up. 
Oh, how do you edit, Allie? Oh, I don't, do but I'm going to learn real fucking quick. <laughs> I was debating on whether or not I wanted to make a comment or a question about haunted children, and I was debating whether or not it was ethical for me to say. Probably not. But you know what, JP? We can't talk about a haunted place and not bring up our favorite asshole, Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventures. You know, you used to get on me for calling them assholes, and now you're the one doing it. I'm really surprised here, Al. Listen, I love watching Ghost Adventures, but I can acknowledge that their earlier episodes, and some of the newer ones too, some of the things that Zach Bagan says are incredibly problematic. Just, he needed to like not say some things and not do some things. Like, not good. Not good. Well, okay, I think I still got a few minutes. Yeah, let's talk about this dude. So, season two, episode seven. They cover the Moon River Brewing Company. Little baby Zach. This episode is just wild because it starts off with them running all over the place and Nick possibly gets possessed. This was back when they were still fucking with the ghosts. Like they hadn't learned how to protect themselves yet spiritually and they were still just like, come get me, ghost. Guys, don't be idiots. The employees caution the crew about taunting the ghosts. They're like, hey, mm, there's some violent ghosts. Don't do this. But we all know that's not going to happen. So before the lockdown, pretty much everything mentioned above was talked about by the owners. Zach does an interview with a Christina Piva. The the owner stresses how intense she is and how she's not lying. So while they're talking to him before Christina, Zach starts freaking out about feeling energy. The owner tells the camera that he's not going to tell Zach where this high energy spot is. And he wants to see if Zach is the real deal. He literally like leans over to the camera. He's like, I'm not saying anything. I want to see if this guy's real. Sure enough, Zach passes the test and he found the secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. I don't know the rest of it. I just had to say that. I literally wrote that in here. I was like, I had I can't have to talk about that. Everyone from the Avatar generation, when we hear that phrase, it's it's like a Did I tell you, I somehow got on the subject of Avatar with my boss and I'm surprised that hasn't come up. I know. (laughs) And my boss literally started singing the song. Like he was like, Sacred Tunnel. And I was like, ah, you know the song. That's amazing. (laughs) So that was. Wait, your your boss, like the the big dude who I met. the really tall. Yeah. The one who came up and gave me a handshake. I went, oh crap. (laughs) As I had to go handshake him and basically was ready to bench press and curl 35 pounds when I had to give this man a handshake. So I felt like I could be on his level. <laughs> yes, that's him. He's a really oh, nice he is. guy. I just, he has that businessman handshake yes. where like, it's basically an arm wrestling match. And if you don't match him, it's kind of that sign of weakness yeah. in business. So I was just like, ah, oh, crap. So I had to go in for the big <laughs> boxer, like get my shoulder into it. Like, Oh yeah. Like the whole art, like your whole side of your body handshake. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Give it a lot of resistance. I had to give him a lot of resistance. So he he knew what he was handling, but yeah, it, it definitely had to go to the shoulder on God, that one. I hope he doesn't listen to this. He's only listened to one episode. I don't think he's going to listen to this one, but it's fine. I hope not. Yeah, no, that was one of those things when you describe people, you did not mention height and you mentioned your boss and I'm looking up. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so back to the secret tunnel. Of course, Zach has to go find the opening to the secret tunnel. I had seen this episode before, but I totally forgot about this part. And he goes into this abandoned lot and he's like, oh, there's something alive in here. And he's freaking out. He's like, guys, there's something in here. And of course, it cuts to commercial and it comes back to him. JP, it was a fucking cat. 
He found a f- so the cat attacks him. He freaks out. The cat like runs out of the lot. He looks up at Aaron and Nick and he's like, did you get that? <laughs> I love it. I think one of the things that I will never, even as a kid, I remember watching this show. I never got over how stupid it was. They were somewhere else and it was like a storm and there was a down power line that was possibly still alive. And it was in a puddle. And I don't know why, but for whatever God reason, they were like, okay, we need to jump over this puddle because we need to go this way. And even eight, 10 year old me couldn't help but think, couldn't you guys just go around? Seriously. It, it's, it's a puddle. No, they have to do everything that made them seem so badass. Nothing's more badass than jumping over a puddle with live wire in yeah. it. Yeah. Shock puddle. So. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. We're getting off the rails now. This has already been off the rails. So they're locked in, not even 10 minutes. They already hear dragging, talking. They start freaking out because, like, every time they hear something, they're like, oh, what was that? What was that? Oh, my God. This is a side note, but. No, no, no. It's more like, yo, 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 bro, 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 bro. Dude, 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 dude. Did you hear that? Sometimes, but sometimes they're like, whoa. Sorry to anyone who had their headphones in. Anyway, side note, this is what I feel like the best part of the show is when they hear something, but the camera doesn't pick it up. So it's just silent. Okay. And they're like, did you hear that? Did did you hear that? They do catch some disembodied voices and footsteps, even a light anomaly that they were not able to like disprove. Oh, and of course, Nick kind of gets possessed. So that's basically the episode. And that is the Moon River Brewing Company. Yay! JP is like, thank God she stopped talking. No, no, you're, you're good, Al. I just... <laughs> no, that, that was a fun one. It's nice whenever the history is especially straightforward and there's easier things for me to get. So I had some fun, especially going down the yellow fever path. Oh, you went, you went down the yellow brick. I went down the yellow brick road and I was shocked because it was not the same one Dorothy went. No, not that one at all. I did watch that movie the other day. I forgot how good it was, but like, I can't help but watch it and think about just all of the ridiculousness, the horrible, horrific cast treatment that went on behind it and crew. Also, I finally discovered that the whole, uh, hanging person in the background of the one scene. Yeah, myth. Turns out it was just a bird. Which, I didn't realize there were live animals on the set. Yeah, I didn't either, now that I think about it. Speaking of live animals, I'm gonna go take our dog for a walk. So, let's not forget, everybody, we are on Instagram, at SpookyUPodcast. You can DM us there, you can talk to us, like, we're pretty cool people. You can also send us an email at SpookyUPodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, usually I'll Ali will post something and I'll make snarky comments in the comments and i will comment like it's both of us but it's really just me so yeah that's it all right everyone um go drink beer and don't push people and form vigilant committees class dismissed